I didn't kill my wife. Welcome to the Four Corners Crimecast. My name is Jake. My name is Rory. And I'm your host, Katie. And today we are talking about William Lee Neal. And uh, where'd you do your research on this one, Katie? This one was Love Me to Death by Steve Jackson. And uh, where are we going for this one? It's kind of all over, but we're ending pretty much in Denver, Colorado. Okay, cool. All right, well, you want to go ahead and kick us off on this one? William Lee Neal, who went by Cody, was born October 7th, 1955 in Virginia. His sisters described him as their mother's golden boy who could do no wrong. You have to appreciate his mother's sense of humor. Did you catch with his name there? His name is technically Willie Lee. Or Billy Lee? Billy Lee? Get it? Lee Lee? I don't. <laughs> Billy Lee? Yeah, because his middle name's Lee, but his first name's William, so she technically gave him the same name, like, Billy oh, Lee. Oh, okay, okay, I get it now. Bill Lee. Okay. Will Lee. Okay, now I get it, yes. Not Cody. Yeah, I don't know where Cody came from. He wanted to be wild. He had a relatively normal childhood, from what we can tell from the little information in the book and on the internet. When he was in his early teens, he claims that he was molested by an older woman, but this is unconfirmed. That's just high school these days. Around the same time, he himself molested a little girl, and he was also looked into by the FBI for the abduction, rape, and murder of a young girl. I feel like he may not have had a perfectly normal childhood, I'm going to say. Something had to happen to cause him to act out like this pretty young, right? More than likely. As Neil grew up, he became a master manipulator, able to sweet-talk any woman he met into doing whatever he wanted them to. Now, is this just like he was able to talk a bunch of women into sex, or was it like he kind of talked women into being subservient to his needs, or what? Subservient to his needs, give okay. them whatever they had in their possession. That's a pretty smooth talker. Is it? I mean, yeah. I guess. You gotta be smooth. Something. He would spend a majority of his time at bars, tipping bartenders 20s, 50s, or even $100 bills for every drink he ordered. Is there any proof that he wasn't just legally blind and didn't know actually how much money he was giving said exotic dancers? He didn't wear glasses, so I'm pretty sure he was 20-20. 20-20? And he was still giving them 20s? Yeah. Damn. He was being... He, he was a big baller. Basically. Where did this guy get all of his money? I never figured that out. I don't think anyone ever has. Maybe someone just left him a chunk of change in a mattress or something? And What if he was like Walter White and he had $80 million stacked up in a in a storage unit somewhere and he'd just go pull from it? That's entirely possible. Hmm. He drove around in limos, stayed in top dollar hotels, and ate at the most lavish restaurants. The problem was if Neil did not work, he would get the money from the women he was dating, often promising to pay them back before disappearing out of their lives. So that's sort of where he got his money. Yeah, earlier in his life, though, before he started manipulating women, I have no idea. Because he, I mean, at some point had to have money to convince women he had to money. be around him. Yeah. yeah, so It's just like the chicken and the egg. Yeah. It's like which came first, the mooch or the gold digger? He got the attention of women not only with his money, but with his looks, always wearing a black cowboy hat and boots. He liked to be referred to as Wild Bill Cody to further his appearance as a cowboy. Was he a real cowboy? No. No. What do you mean by real cowboy? I mean someone who rides horses and ra like wrangles cattle. Right. I think how did Garth Brooks put it? Like, Should have been a cowboy. Should have learned, learned to, to rope, rope and, and ride. Wearing my six-shooter. Ride my pony on a cattle, ri cattle drive. So does he do any of those things? No. Okay, so I mean, Garth Brooks is more of a cowboy than you? That's fucked up. I hope that was Garth Brooks that said that. 
Probably. Wasn't it a Garth Brooks song? Yeah, it sounds Fuck like it. it. But he wasn't a cowboy. Was he charismatic? Was he like? How? I mean, you had you'd have to be if you're wearing around a bunch of cowboy boots and a cowboy hat. Did he have ostrich boots? They didn't tell me what his boots were made Probably out of. Probably stingray, alligator. Uh, alligator. Oh yeah, they make alligator boots. And Those they, are like what Hispanics wear. Pythons. I mean, the, there has to be like a set of boots that like cowboys really like, and they probably make. <laughs> Uh, it depends. It's like it's like Nikes for regular people. I mean, it depends on if you want them to be functional, so you can actually like ride a horse, uh, or if you want them for looks. Oh shit, he's got them air ponies on right now. <laughs> Neil was 26 and living in Washington D.C. in 1981 when he met Karen Wilson. She was a manager at an outdoor supply store when Neil came in looking for a specific piece of equipment to hike the Appalachian Trail. I think it's funny that her last name is Wilson and she works at a sporting store. The two talked about the trail for over an hour before Karen informed him that they didn't care the exact thing he was looking for. She told him the nearest location to look, and he thanked her and left. She thought about it momentarily, then rushed after him to offer him a ride there on her lunch. She was too late, and he was gone, so she decided to drive to the other store to find him. Right as she was about to pull out of the parking lot, she saw him step off the bus and rushed over to him, explaining that she was going to give him a ride, but he was already gone. He thanked her for the offer and left, probably feeling a little creepy for following him there just to tell him that she wanted to give him a ride this is like the start of a real like epic romance right no this was customer service at its finest ah i don't i mean i'm in customer service and i would never ever let a customer into my car that's why this is at its finest are you ever customer service at its finest katie no and that's why it's a true love story I didn't even katie offer to look at other stores i'm just like no we don't have them <laughs> i'll go look in the back for you i'll stand there for five minutes and then come back out and tell you we don't have it Either way, Neil wasn't put off by her gesture and came back to her work the next day to ask her on a date. Double stalker status. Yeah, now they're stalking each other. Yeah. Reciprocating the customer service. She accepted and they drove out to a country estate where Neil knew the owners, prepared a picnic for them, and at the very bottom, he had a surprise for her. It was a specially made necklace with the logo of the store she worked at engraved onto the pendant. He'd apparently found someone to make it for her overnight. You know, nothing says love like a 10-carat large-mouth bass pendant that just says Cabela's carved across the front. Yeah, I'm trying to think what other instance where that would work. Like, you, you meet some girl <laughs> at her work, and you just give her, like, a Hooters bandana or something? <laughs> it's like giving a girl who works at McDonald's a, like a pair of earrings Here's that are golden, golden arches, arches baby. <laughs> yeah. You can wear these while you're on cashier. Do you think that he didn't find someone to make it overnight and just, like, had it ready? I think he probably bought it at the other store. Karen was in an abusive relationship at the time, and Neil convinced her to dump her boyfriend and go out with him instead. He also talked her into moving back to Virginia with him to be closer to her parents. So she didn't have anything else to keep her in the old D.C. area? No. I mean, her parents were in Virginia, and she wanted to get away from her abusive boyfriend. I mean, D.C. is not that far from Virginia, is it? Nah, he could chase her for sure. Yeah. He told her he'd been a member of the Green Berets, the Alaskan Mountain Rescue Team, and that he owned Neil Tech, an alarm system company. His father had a heart attack and had died in his arms, and he'd been married before, but he left when he found his wife in bed with another man. It's just a bunch of, like, Harrison Ford movies all compiled into one. That's how he got his life story together. Yeah, none of it was true, more than likely. I obviously couldn't find any information on his background, but I highly doubt he was a Green Beret. He'd take Karen and her parents out to expensive restaurants and hotels where everyone seemed to know and respect him. Overall, he seemed like the perfect man. Did he take them out to dinner with Karen's money, or I'm still just hung up on where he's getting all this money? No, I think it was money from 
some other lady somewhere who knows he just had money he had a money tree the thing is when you are trying to front like you have money you generally don't tell anyone ever where the money is actually coming from yeah and he may have actually owned an alarm system company or like worked there at least and had every paycheck he just was like okay we can go out to dinner once every two weeks and it has to be no more than like what three hundred dollars if your name is Neil, it is convenient because there's got to be like Neil Neil Security Systems. Yep, that exists for sure somewhere. You just pull it out of your ass. Yeah, vague name for a security company. There was only one thing about Neil that bothered Karen, and that was his habit of calling any woman he saw and revealing outfits, sluts, and whores. He just didn't know their names as individuals, Katie. I mean, they were strangers. You could just pass a woman on the street and. Yeah, call you, her a whore. I mean, I'm not as suave and smooth as this guy, so I probably a, couldn't get away with it. Get so. a cowboy hat, and then you can call women whores. Apparently. I feel like he did like an ass slap at the same time. Nah. Himself? She'd asked him to stop, but it seems like his habit only got progressively worse. After they'd been dating a few months, he asked her about her sexual fantasies, inquiring if she'd ever thought about sleeping with multiple men at once. She told him she had, but it was strictly a fantasy, and she would never go through with it in real life. I mean, everyone has weird fantasies that they'd never really go through with. Yeah, totally normal. I try to keep myself grounded. My fantasies are always something that can be attained. I don't know. I don't think I'm ever going to fuck a dinosaur. But you've had fantasies about it? Yeah, she was a real sexy dinosaur. (laughs) I feel like you're just the donkey from (laughs) Shrek right now. (laughs) A few days later, Neil took her to a cabin for a weekend getaway. After they were settled in and relaxing, the phone rang. Neil explained to her that he was going to fulfill her fantasy of being with two men, as there was another man waiting for them in the cabin next door. Karen obviously got upset, telling him that she absolutely did not want to partake in that, and Neil happily told her she'd passed a test. He was planning on dumping her if she'd said yes, and after they'd actually gone through with it. He was gonna wait until they were all three done having sex, and then break up with her. Just to make sure that she, like, fully, fully went through with it, He's like, I guess. Uh, is, it, is this some kind of personality disorder that would cause someone to be, go, like, be a super jealous, controlling asshole, but then at the same time be trying to get your lady to fuck another dude just so you can break up with her? And This is, no, just being abusive. Manipulation 101. Yeah, you want, you basically pretend like you'd be okay with it, and then when they actually do it, you say, oh, no, 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 why did you do that? The relationship stayed relatively normal until 1984, when Neil convinced her to move to Houston for a job he set up for her. When she arrived, she learned that he'd rented the apartment in her name, but didn't want the woman in the leasing office to know that they were quote-unquote having relations. He also forgotten to mention that only she had a job waiting there. He wasn't planning on working at all. They say you have to put 10,000 hours into doing something to really be a master at it. This guy was a master at his craft of just leeching off of the ladies. Despite the red flags, they went to the Justice of the Peace 10 days after their arrival and were married. Now, what exactly did she do for a living and how did he set up the job for her? She basically just worked retail. She got another management job at... Food City. A retail store. Yeah, Yeah, I think it was... um, IGA. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it wasn't like she had an actual vocation or career. And I don't think he really set it up for her either. I think he... Hey, there's a job down here. Yeah, basically. Let's go. You were a manager here. You could be a manager anywhere else that needs a manager. And that was the extent of it. So let's go to Houston. And the best part about it is that I can do what I do everywhere, which is nothing. Yeah. And another thing with abusive people is that they generally try to get you out of your comfort zone. So moving her around a bunch was to... Basically, you're in a new city, you only know that person that you're dating, and so you feel an obligation to stick around because you're too uncomfortable to 
up and leave and know absolutely no one. Okay. On their wedding night, he told her he wanted to share their deepest secrets. His was that he'd slept with multiple men. Hers was that she'd slept with a married man once, which she only revealed when Neil specifically asked her if she had. When she answered, he knocked her to the ground, choking her and screaming, Liar, you whore. When he finally let her up, he made her call the man's wife and tell her what she'd done. Jesus. This is why these things are called secrets. Because they are meant to be kept a secret. That's crazy shit. Uh, why would you ask something if you didn't really want the answer? Like, what was his end game there? Did he really want the answer so he had a reason to be upset? Or Yeah, I, he I, wanted to beat her. Okay. Oh, well, there's that. I have another theory, and that's that he wanted to get off his chest that he'd slept with a lot of men. That could, that could be it, too. He does tend to kind of just, like, blurt really strange things at random times that are inappropriate for the situation. I have never done that in my entire life, so couldn't straight tell you what that's like. Tell us your deepest secret. Okay, um, one time, I, uh, slept with a married man. Oh, God, Jake! <laughs> Why are you joking me? Karen stuck around and agreed to go to another cabin a few days later for their honeymoon. The night they arrived, Neil wanted to play another question game, this time asking her about her sexual history. He has to play sleepover games with his new wife, like he's a fucking 12-year-old or something. It's really weird. She answered truthfully, which caused Neil to shove her against a wall and begin choking her again. When he knocked her to the ground, she was able to get away and hide behind the sofa in the living room. Neil came out of the bedroom and said, where is she, in a voice she'd never heard before. I'm going to go ahead and say it was probably more like, where is she? Where yeah. is she? Where is she? Christian Bale. Christian Bale from Batman style. More That's why likely. she didn't recognize it. He apparently couldn't find her, so he went outside and had a cigarette. More possible evidence that he might be legally blind? I mean, or just not a very good hide-and-seek player. He's only good at question games. When he returned, he acted like nothing had ever happened. You just gotta lie. Just try to lie. Just don't tell the truth. I mean, she wants to trust her husband, though, so... Yeah, you share everything with your husband. I don't share everything with my husband. Well, Aaron's not here right now, so we can't ask him. Neil only continued to become more abusive, constantly accusing Karen of cheating, calling her names, and hitting her. He, on the other hand, would brag about the women who would answer their doors in lingerie when he came to their apartment to do maintenance, and even getting letters in the mail containing women's panties and nude photos. All those letters were written in his handwriting. So he was a maintenance man? Yes. It said that he was the apartment maintenance man. I don't think he was bonded, licensed, or insured. But I don't want to say that he was actually the apartment maintenance man. I feel like he just told people that. And then <laughs> went and knocked on their door. And he was like, you Maintenance having, man. You having trouble with their to- your toilet? And they're like, no. That's why they're always in lingerie. Because they never were expecting him. <laughs> uh-huh, I see. He'd disappear often, not coming home for days, weeks, or even months at a time. Karen continued the relationship and agreed to move out of Houston when Neil told her they needed to leave. Because he had a lucrative job offer somewhere else, I'm guessing? Probably. Ah, he's so skilled. They stayed with friends and relatives a few weeks before settling on a small town in Tennessee. They lived there for only a few months before Neil said his mother needed his help moving and he disappeared for eight months. Did his mother really need his help moving or was he just off being wild? Bill Lee Boy. That I don't know. He probably was just gone. So he had to take his mom through the Oregon Trail, and that's why it took eight months? Probably, yeah. yeah. Although he was out of town, Neil knew where Karen was at every moment of every day. He'd call her as soon as she stepped foot inside the apartment, asking where she'd been and why she was gone so long. She figured out eventually that Neil had asked their neighbor to write down everything she did, which they apparently agreed to. 
I mean, that's probably just some wannabe sexist PI neighbor that was like, ooh, I'm going to catch this woman doing something bad. It was a couple. Oh, it was a couple? Yeah, and he has both of them. They're like, okay. Yeah, for $200 a day plus expenses. <laughs> I'm sure there was some long story he had why they needed to keep track of her. That was not true, but they fed into it. Ah, that's uh, how much Jim Rockford made. Once he finally returned home, he stayed for two weeks and left her a seven-page long letter outlining what was wrong with her and why he wanted a divorce. He was only gone for two weeks before he was back, asking to make things work between them. For whatever reason, she took him back. In October of 1985, Karen returned home from work and found their apartment completely empty. Neil explained that he had sold all of the furniture and her belongings because they were going to start fresh by living in their van for a few weeks while they saved money to move to Colorado. He only sold her belongings? I think that's all they owned was her belongings, because she was the only one with a job. On December 1st, they were still living in the van, Karen was the only one working, and Neil wanted a divorce again. He gave her until January 1st to be moved completely out of the van, and gave her divorce papers that were dated before they left Tennessee. Karen finally realized she was being taken advantage of and left him for good. He wasn't out of her life, though, as a few months later, he came to her new apartment, wanting to know why she purchased a waterbed. In March 1986, he called her and told her the divorce wasn't really her fault, saying, quote, You know, I put you on a pedestal. You were my perfect little bird. Now, what kind of bird is a perfect little bird? I'm thinking Neil would probably say a swallow. Then when I found out you weren't perfect, I didn't know what to do. I couldn't trust you. Isn't there a name for this type of complex? Like something having to do with wanting to fuck your own mom and no girl can ever measure up to her? And Part of Freud's thing, too, was that men... <laughs> wanted to fuck their mothers and be with their mothers, and women had penis envy. So, you want to fuck your mother, I see. Hmm. Oh, you want to suck his dick. And let me get a little cocaine. I wish that was my dick. Okay. That's what penis envy is, right? No, penis envy is, uh... Um, you wish you had a dick? Like, you see a dick, and you're like, hmm, yep, that's a nice dick. I think that's penis admiration. Ah, yep. Sorry, got confused. Continue, please. Continue. Penis envy is me every once a month thinking about how much easier my life would be if I had a penis. So much easier. The hardest thing is your dick. Neil didn't have another significant relationship until he met Jennifer Tate, a dancer at a local strip club he spent most of his time at. All the women there liked him as he'd tip extremely generously. Jennifer found this out on December 29th, 1992, her 19th birthday. Neil walked up to her stage and placed a thousand dollars in ones in front of her before asking her on a date. Amid this COVID-19 coronavirus shit that's going on, um, I know a few dancers that are out of work, and one of them was uh, selling sexual pictures. Explicit? Explicit pics on Snapchat for money. And so uh, I sent her $15, but instead of having her send me pictures, I asked her to listen to her podcast. (laughs) Did she? She said she would. I don't know. If you're listening, thanks for listening. How much do you think I'm worth? Do you have a vagina? Negative six dollars. <laughs> I have to pay them yeah. six dollars every time to you Snapchat someone a picture. Bowl. You you cash app them six bucks. Like, <laughs> I'm helping Thanks the recession. Looking. Let me send you a picture yeah. of my butthole with six bucks. <laughs> Here's a picture of me. Thanks for looking. They went out the next night and liked each other so much. She moved in with him two days later. You have to be careful. Dancers move real quick. Not long after, even with Jennifer on birth control and Neil wearing condoms, Jennifer was pregnant. Neil seems like the poke holes in the condoms, knock her up and lock her down type. For sure. 
His sperm's just extra manipulative and snuck its ways into her ovaries. <laughs> Climbing around the condoms. It doesn't go in your ovaries, Rar. <laughs> What's that little uh, T-shaped thing that they put up in to block? An IUD? Yeah, it's just it just snakes around the IUD. Sperm. It doesn't? No. Oh, yeah, it, blocks, <laughs> it blocks the egg from protruding from their uh, sex sacs. <laughs> we need to get off of this. <laughs> Katie's looking at us like the most Did uninformed, have... ignorant asshole. I had sex Lori ed in school in Utah. Utah, and I went to a Christian school. Sex so. ed in Utah was basically sign this paper that says you'll be abstinent. I, I had that same class. Really? Yeah, that was sex ed. Did your mom teach it? <laughs> I went to a high school. Yeah, sex ed is not a high school thing. It's not? No. no mine wasn't until fucking I was a junior in high school. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> yeah. We had a, like... Maturation class, but it didn't involve any sexual education. I My had sex ed in fifth grade. What? That's your maturation. That's what shows you. That shows you like how to use deodorant and. <laughs> uh, no, that's Utah. Right? They stuff. literally don't have those classes Dude, here. In, in, in fifth grade, the boys had their maturation uh, assembly where Did all the cotillion. No, all of our dads came in and they sat with us and they showed us <laughs> videos. They showed us videos about like. uh what happens when you go through puberty? Oh, no. Yeah, that was half of it, and the other half was like... There was no sex stuff. I remember one of the guys came up there, uh, one of the teachers got up there and said, Now, guys, stay away from porn. It's very addictive. Dude, my sex ed was literally when I was six years old, my brother handed me a hustler. Yeah, see, that's not good sex ed. <laughs> she knew that Neil didn't like her being around other men, but figured she could go have dinner with one of her closest friends, a gay man. When she arrived home, she found all of her belongings packed into garbage bags and Neil telling her to get out. She begged for him to let her stay, hoping that her child would be raised around its father, unlike she had been. Yikes. He drove her to his work office in the middle of the night and sat her in a chair in the middle of the room where he interrogated her about her dinner. While she was out, he'd gone through all of her belongings and found a list of boys she had slept with in high school. That wasn't that long ago, though, for her. She was like Yeah, she was 19. 19. Yeah. She just turned 19, so. Man, can you, that's so crazy. How old was he? 30. It's 92. He was born in 55. Oh, Ooh, he was 40, basically. Basically. Yikes. <sighs> like a rhinestone cowboy. He began to scream that she had hurt him, even blurting out that he'd been molested by a preacher as a teenager, and now he'd been betrayed again. Uh, hey, hey what was that last part? Neil? I've been betrayed again! No, no, no. Right right before that. Uh, I found the list of boys. In between the boys that I fucked? In between the list of boys? In between the list of boys and the betrayal? Oh, you mean, you mean that time I spent in the cabin with the preacher? Oh, that was nothing. Don't worry about that. I, I guess we'll just skip past that one, then. She began to cry, and Neil shouted, If you're scared now, you don't know how evil I can be. You don't know the meaning of scared. If you're scared now, you don't know how evil I can be. You don't know the meaning of scared. That was such a good Batman. It's literally always, I just hear fucking Jigsaw. He eventually felt like she'd learned her lesson and let her stay in the apartment, but now every time she would quote-unquote misbehave, he'd take her to the office to scream at her. No, I'm, I'm on... 
sure what he did for a living that would require him having a screaming office. Where does he get an office? (laughs) Let alone a chair. Like, it's just like me having an office out in the middle of nowhere and just (laughs) going and yelling at people at it. It's an abandoned office building with one of those little hang-up lights that you you pull and he rolls an old chair in the middle of the floor, clicks on the light. It's yell time. This is pretty scary, though. I mean, imagine that every time you're in trouble, you like, all right, we're going for a ride to the office, and he just screams at you until he's done screaming. Yeah. That's and you have insane. no idea whose office it is because it's definitely not his because he never goes to work. It's got like a half dead plant in the corner yeah. and like a chair with like a little teeny tiny like uh, cart uh, carton set up as a table. I, I picture it like the office that you guys have in your shop that sits above with all the windows and Brian just sits you down in a chair and, and screams at you while the whole shop just points at you. And there's huge pane glass windows. (laughs) Jennifer had to follow a strict set of rules, but Neil was allowed to do whatever he pleased, as most abusive relationships are. One of his favorite things to do was take pregnant Jennifer to the bar and put his hand up waitress's skirts right in front of her. Now, how did this guy not get his ass kicked everywhere he went? Because if he gave a $200 tip for two drinks, I mean... I still don't think that entitles anyone to stick their hand up your pants. But. It does not, but, I mean, if you really want to make money, that's one way to make money. Ah. She also knew that he was either sleeping with or dating her co-workers from the strip club, but could say nothing or face extreme repercussions for accusing him. His go-to was to kick her out and make her live with her mother until he decided she could come home. When Jennifer was five months pregnant, she and Neil got married, and she hoped he would now finally trust her. He didn't, and four months later, when Jennifer was nine months pregnant, he kicked her out. This is so fucking strange to me. I mean, I know people have these types of relationships pretty regularly, but when you're like nine months pregnant, it's crazy to actually think that someone would kick you out. Like Karen, he watched her while she was out of the house, calling and asking what she'd been doing. Eventually, he let her come home and gave her a thousand dollar a week allowance. The only problem was she wasn't allowed to leave the house without him, even to go grocery shopping. She would be stuck at home without food for days at a time, as Neil would be gone all hours of the day at bars and strip clubs, then come home and accuse her of cheating. This is about as good a time as any to remind anybody who is currently in an abusive relationship, you don't have to take that shit. You can literally just get up, take a deep breath, grab a knife and kill that motherfucker and call it self-defense. Yeah, refer to the Dixie Chicks song about killing that abusive dick, Earl. Ooh, those black-eyed peas, they tasted all right to me, Earl. Yeah. On a realistic note, though, you can get out, and you should get out, and you should get help. Yes, yes, yes. get out, get help. Yeah, definitely get out of abusive relationships if you're in them. I know that's weird advice to give. Sometimes you don't realize that you're being manipulated and abused, or you wear those rose-colored glasses with someone. You need to take that shit off and see that you are a valuable person to society and people would miss you if you weren't around. On July 24th, 1993, Jennifer went into labor. She called Neil to take her to the hospital, but he told her he was working. Her mother took her and Neil finally showed up at around 10 p.m., but the baby hadn't been delivered yet, so he went to a bar and never returned. The next morning, he picked them up, dropped them off at home, then left again. He used the child as leverage against Jennifer, threatening to kick her out and take their child if she didn't follow his orders. I mean, that's super fucked up. Does he actually have any feelings for the child, or does he just not have feelings for anyone, period? I don't think he has feelings. I think the child was literally leverage. leverage against her. I can knock you up, and then you're stuck with me forever and have to do whatever I tell you. Neil did attempt a romantic getaway at one point in their relationship, taking Jennifer to a swingers motel. But they have their own motels? Apparently. I mean... I guess in the 90s they did. 
Not long after their arrival, she has to go back to the room because she was uncomfortable with all of the people having sex in front of them. The rules of the motel were if the curtains were open, anyone could watch. If the door was open, anyone could join. Neil blindfolded and tied Jennifer up, telling her he was just going to open the curtains. After they'd been having sex for a few minutes, he stopped and got up. Jennifer then felt someone that she knew wasn't Neil begin having sex with her and started rightfully freaking out. Neil comforted her, taking her home the next day. That's so fucking gnarly. The f- where the fuck does this happen? Like, there's some hojos out in the middle of fucking Tennessee somewhere where swingers just meet up? Gross. I guess. This they, is gross. They send out a text an hour before the actual meetup. This is 93, so they send out a page. As soon as they got back to their apartment, he kicked her out. She returned once again as soon as he allowed her back. On a rare occasion, Neil actually let her leave the house to go spend time with her sister. When she got back home, he told her he'd bathe their daughter and put her down for a nap. The next day, when Jennifer went to bathe their daughter, she screamed and fought getting into the tub, something she never did. I'm gonna go ahead and put it out there, but fuck this guy. Fuck this. When she brought it up to one of Neil's sisters, she mentioned the time he'd been questioned by the FBI for the abduction, rape, and murder of a young girl when Neil was a teen. His sister didn't mention that Neil had actually molested a young girl, only told her to be careful leaving the baby with him. Was there any instances or proof of him abusing her, or just this one story that we know of? Yeah, I don't think. I mean, she couldn't go anywhere. She couldn't go grocery shopping. She couldn't go out. This was the only... Literally the only time he was ever alone with the child. So this was his probably only chance, and he took it, and she was with the kid the rest of the time. In late November 1994, Jennifer had been stuck at home for three days with no food or diapers for their daughter. Neil hadn't been home to take her to the store, so she called him to find out where he was. In the background, she could hear a woman's voice, and she shouted at Neil to remember to wear a condom. Realizing what she'd done, she called police, who were overseeing her pack her belongings when Neil got home. So she just realized that she shouldn't have to tell her husband to wear a condom over the phone and it pissed her off? or She talked back to him so she was going to get the shit beat out of her when he got home. Oh. Yeah, she was afraid of the repercussions. So Seriously, right just for thing. telling him to wear a condom? Oh, yeah. Yeah, she talked back to him. She's yeah. not allowed to mention that he's with another woman. She stayed away until May 1995 when Neil called her begging for him to take her back. They moved into a new apartment together until a woman knocked on their door asking to speak to Neil. Jennifer finally decided enough was enough and left him for good. It took a lot to get to that point. Yeah. Um, took a lot to get to that point, so. She wanted her good for her, her baby good to for have her. a dad. Yeah. So she tried her best, but he divorced her in March 1996 and used her to attract the attention of new women in his life, telling them he needed their money to win custody of his daughter from his evil ex-wife. Again, he's got his game plan. He's the master of his manipulation. In reality, Neil didn't want to see them, and even told Jennifer to keep her and the child out of his life, as he didn't want anyone to know they existed. Honestly, though, that's good for her. Yeah. And the kid. That's, I feel like Jennifer just lost a fucking 200-pound mole off her ass. Like, that's her. <laughs> I think he was less useful. Yeah. At least you can use a mole to sit on. <laughs> in July 1996, Rebecca Holberton was introduced to Neil at a party. They hit it off right away, likely because he seemed like such a good man, fighting tooth and nail for custody of his daughter. They went on to date for two years, during which time Rebecca let him borrow over $60,000, which she took out in loans. How do I get a sugar mama like this, Katie? Whenever they ask you for money, you have to... Be like, no, no, you give me money. <laughs> Just tell them. No, no, no. Oh, no, 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 no. All my money is tied up right now, so give me money? 
See, I'm just, I'm just not that convincing. Like, you have to say, no, I'm not going to give you $15. You give me $15 and I'll send you a picture of my butthole. <laughs> he was also allowed to move into her townhouse, despite the fact he told her he owned a mansion in both Denver and Las Vegas. I generally, every time that I'm trying to like impress somebody, I tell them that I've got a mansion, but I need a place to stay. Works every time. On June 29, 1998, she'd had enough and demanded he pay her back. He'd been saying for the last two years that he had a trust fund tied up in the courts, but now that she wanted money, it was magically accessible to him. He had her write $56,000 in checks to her creditors, promising the money would be in her account the next day. Early the next morning, Neil went to the hardware store, purchasing four large eye bolts, duct tape, nylon rope, and a 7.5-pound splitting maul, which is an axe on one side and a sledgehammer on the other. It's a pretty intense tool. That evening, when he returned home, he told Rebecca he had a surprise for her. He brought her down to the basement and had her sit in a chair. He placed a briefcase on her lap that was filled with newspaper to make it seem like it was full of cash. They had a glass of champagne, then Neil placed a blanket over her head to receive her surprise. I'm just going to say that if someone wants to put a blanket over your head to give you a surprise, there's at least a 50% chance that you don't want the surprise. Yep. She sat patiently as he went to the garage, got the splitting mall, then stood in front of her and lined it up with the center of her skull. He used a sledgehammer side, bringing it down onto her head over and over until her skull had shattered onto the floor and blood and brain matter were seeping through the white blanket covering her. He placed her head into a plastic bag to catch the blood, then wrapped her body in black garbage bags and drug it to the other side of the room, propping her back up against a wall. He found a two-inch piece of her skull on the floor, bloody with hair still attached to it. Using an empty ice cream wrapper, he picked it up and took it to the kitchen to use later. I mean, that's crazy fucked up, but it straight up sounds like an Eminem song. The way he killed her or this piece just of the skull? whole thing you just read sounds like it could be straight out of an Eminem song off of his relapse album. Rebecca was clueless to the fact Neil was seeing other women while they were together and had been dating Candace Walters since December of 1997. Candace had loaned Neil $6,000 and began asking when she was going to get it back around the same time Rebecca asked him the same question. He used the same trust fund story, telling her that she would be getting her money plus $2.5 million, $1 million of it in cash, and a flight to Las Vegas where she'd be given a brand new Toyota 4Runner. That sounds like a way to snake Jake onto a plane. Yeah. <laughs> sounds like the, one of those Arabian princes yeah. on a Gmail. <laughs> you come with me. I'll give you $2.5 million. Yeah, you'll get your money back. Your six grand plus $2.5 million and a foreigner. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're right. I'd be on that plane. <laughs> yeah. I'd be like, yes. On July 3rd, three days after Rebecca's murder, Neil took Candace to Rebecca's townhome and had her sit in the same chair Rebecca died in. She, too, had the briefcase set in her lap before Neil asked to put the blanket over her head. She refused, not wanting to mess up her hair, so he told her to keep her eyes closed. He once again retrieved the maul, this time using the axe side to slice into Candace's skull. Her body fell out of the chair, onto the floor, and Neil continued to swing, driving the axe into her neck. Once he was finished killing her, he walked over to her body, unzipped his pants, and urinated on her head. Fuck this guy. For real, fuck this guy. I mean, goddamn. Her body wasn't wrapped like Rebecca's, just drugged to the other side of the room and a blanket tossed over it. Neil then drug a mattress over to the chair and set it so whoever sat in the chair would be facing it. He screwed the four eye bolts into the floor at each corner of the mattress and measured, cut, and tied rope to them. Content with his work, he began convincing his next victims he had a surprise for them. Surprises in the basement, not a way to go. Neil had been dating Betty Weeks since later in 1997, along with Rebecca and Candace 
spent a lot of time at their apartment and grew to know Betty's roommate, Suzanne Scott, very well. On July 3rd, eight hours after murdering Candace, he called Betty and told her he was taking her and Suzanne out. They met him at a pizza shop across from their apartment, and while they had dinner, Neil proposed. A limo came and picked them up, and the three spent the night bar hopping. He paid for the entire evening with Rebecca and Candace's money. This guy is a fucking piece of work. Oh yeah, it's super fucked up. Neil had been asking Suzanne to go to Las Vegas with him for a job interview. She finally agreed, and he picked her up the day after their night out. He claimed they were early for their flight, so he wanted to show her a surprise he was planning on giving Betty. Again with the surprises. He drove her to the townhouse where he'd killed Rebecca and Candace, blindfolding her and duct-taping her mouth shut in the garage. He led her through the home, then had her lay back on the mattress he set up in front of the chair. It's unclear exactly why she let him do this, but he tried her wrists and ankles to the eye bolts. Laying there, spread eagle, blindfolded, and with duct tape over her mouth, Neil used a knife to cut her clothing off. He removed the blindfold and asked her if she'd ever seen a human skull before picking up the piece of Rebecca's skull and placing it on her stomach. He began to grope her, but before anything happened, he got up and started to leave the room. He explained, quote-unquote, the others were upstairs, and if they heard her make any noise, he would rape and kill her. Tossing a blanket over her, he left the room. Not longer than 20 minutes later, Neil returned, this time with another person. Suzanne couldn't make out what they were saying to each other until they got closer to the mattress. She then heard a woman's voice and the sound of duct tape being unrolled. When Neil asked the woman how her day was going, Suzanne recognized the woman's voice as Angela Fight. Angela had been introduced to Neil after getting out of an abusive relationship. He'd been seeing her for a short time when he told her he had a surprise for her. She was taken to the home and blindfolded before being sat in the chair and having her arms and legs duct-taped to the chair. He removed her blindfold and the blanket covering Suzanne and the woman locked eyes. Neil went and sat in another chair he had sat next to the mattress and began to smoke a cigarette. Angela looked at Neil and said, I'm sorry, but we aren't going to get out of here alive, are we? Neil didn't answer her question, only saying he was going to get a treat for his cat before leaving the room. He came back with the mall and drove it into Angela's skull before either woman could even react. Once he was done, he turned around to Suzanne and said, You see how calm and smooth I am? Bet you didn't know that was coming. Damn. Shit, that's a brutal line to go out on. Yep, and then we're going to pick this up next week. All right, guys. That was a brutal part one of William Lee Neal. We'll be picking it up next week. And uh, as always, thank you for listening. Wow, I'm kind of shocked that last little bit kind of took a real hard left turn there. It got really violent really quick. Yeah. Well, all right, guys, thank you very much for listening. And as always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can feel free to email us at fourcornerscrimecast at gmail.com. That's F-O-U-R cornerscrimecast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash fourcornerscrimecast, on Instagram at fourcornerscrimecast, and on Twitter at Four Corners Crime with the number four. And as always, give us a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify and check out our new website, fourcornerscrimecast.com. That's F-O-U-R cornerscrimecast.com. Head over there for a full episode list or to send us ideas for an episode. Or you can get your free sticker from our merch store by simply entering the code Bingo Bango at checkout and we will ship the sticker to you 100% free. So just remember, this week... uh. Surprises are not good. Don't follow anyone into a basement. And stay safe. Yeah, and if you are part of an abusive relationship and you know you are part of an abusive relationship, feel free to reach out to anyone here. We can give you pointers and guidelines or whatever on how to get rid of your man. Um, 
more often than not, we will probably go ahead and tell you to contact the police and remove yourself from the situation because sometimes you just need to hear from you need to hear it from someone in order for it to get through. So yeah, sometimes the first part of uh, fixing a problem is realizing that there is a problem. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, definitely don't murder anybody, even if you are in an abusive relationship. That's the last step. Not a good call. You will go to prison. I think if it's in self-defense, you might have a case though. If someone's coming at you to choke you, you can kill them. Unfortunately, not everyone that listens to this is in Arizona. Yeah. And that doesn't have actually count. Very relaxed self defense laws here, but most places do not. Well, dead men tell no stories, just remember that. Evidence tells lots and lots of stories, though. There is only way for, one way for two people to keep a secret, and that is if one of them is dead. All right, All guys. Right, guys. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll talk to you next week. See ya. Adios, motherfuckers.